Hi, welcome to episode 56 of the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joy Brannon, and I am here solo today. Devin's on vacation. We have no podcast guests lined up for the next week, and uh, so it's just me, and it's kind of the old format. This is how we used to do it. I used to sit in a room by myself and record uh, my thoughts on strategic planning and consulting, and that's what we're going to be doing today, but I'm going to go back and revisit, or not revisit, I'd say expand on a topic that we addressed two weeks ago, and that was the idea of the distinction between management and leadership, and here at Axiom, one of the things that we have been asking our teams to do is to implement uh, five leadership affirmations that uh, are kind of, they are prerequisites for getting a seat at the leadership table. So, you know, just to kind of peek behind the curtain, when we work with companies, one of the things that we do in short order is establish who is on the leadership team. And these are the individuals that we are going to meet with. Usually the owners are part of that. Uh, but it also includes people who have some authority, some responsibility in the organization for making things happen. And they would typically be managers on the org chart, uh, who are the kind of the top-level managers. But you can quickly get into problems if people are on the leadership team who don't have a shared sense of what leadership really is. If they're there just to preserve uh, the kind of their management position, uh, we don't get a whole lot done in terms of p- moving the entire company forward toward the vision that the owners have. And so it's important for us to make sure that everybody who's at the table is at there, is sitting at the table and has a shared understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and why we're trying to accomplish and how we're going to go about it and why they in particular have been invited to have a seat at that table. And so we went through, two weeks ago, we went through these five affirmations. I'm going to read them very quickly. And then this week, I want to talk about what are the roadblocks that we see in practice for each of those five affirmations. And there's definitely some overlap and some things are roadblocks roadblocks for more than one, which you'll see. But on the whole, uh, each one of these affirmations, you know, they ha- there are some stumbling blocks. And what's really cool is you know, we interact with our clients all the time. We're, we're in meetings with them and we're facilitating and we are following up and holding people accountable and coaching and and solving operational problems. But one of the other things that we do is, is we have a what we call Monday morning video. And it goes out to all of our clients and it goes out to the, the everybody who's on a leadership team at one of our clients. And that Monday morning video talks about some element of the work that we do that's very particular to clients. All you know, we, we might reference specific tools, we might talk about particular way that meetings are run. And they're all things that make sense to clients because they've been introduced to our process. And they, we, if we reference a tool or we use a specific term uh, that we're, if we talk about extreme ownership or if we talk about agenda eights or if we talk about uh, one-on-ones, like they know what that is because they're kind of in the loop and they, and they understand our our tool set. And so when these when we send out these Monday morning videos, we talk about a particular element of the work that we do and then we ask, you know, what is what are you experiencing? What do you, was your team struggling with? What are you personally struggling with? And uh, just this week, the Monday morning video was on these leadership affirmations and we got a, gr- a lot of feedback that was really really helpful in giving us even further insight into where people struggle and what are the things that get in the way of these you know, various affirmations. And so that's what we're going to go through. So affirmation number one is that leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals. If you want, if you want more, if you want these more fleshed out, go back and look, listen to the podcast from two weeks ago. 
because we go into each one of these. Devin and I went, we had a great time just talking through these and talking about them at length. So number one, leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals. That's the first thing that we ask them to affirm. Number two, as a leader, it is my role to encourage, exhort, and empower. That's affirmation number two. Number three, leadership is a calling I pursue at all times. That's number three. Number four, I will measure my success by the success of those I lead. And number five, preserving the status quo is incompatible with progress, growth, and leadership. Leadership requires responsible risk. All right, so what I want to do today is go through each one of these and talk about what are the roadblocks? What do we see getting in the way? So number one, that the affirmation about leadership is impacting the lives of individuals. You know, this, this kind of goes against, it doesn't go against, I shouldn't say that. But in a lot of companies and a lot of small businesses, like you're put in a position of authority, of, of management, because you're, you feel, the, the ownership feels like you can get results. Like you can drive revenue, or you can drive down costs, or you can manage production, or you can... Um, you can manage overhead or you can do customer service really well. And they're looking at what is it that you do really, really well. And since you do that really well, you must be able to get other people to do it well. Right. And, and so nobody says, Hey, like you're really good at just making people better people, whether they, whether that's in their work or whether that's in their parenting or whether that's in their, you, you know, whatever, you're just you're just a great uh, you're just a great developer of people. Like people just are better because of you. So we're going to give you more authority in the business. That doesn't happen. And, and I'm not saying we should expect it to happen. But I'm saying one of the things that uh, when we talk about leadership is impacting the lives of individuals. For a lot of small businesses and a lot of people in, in positions of responsibility in small business teams, this is kind of like what like. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was about impacting the bottom line. I thought it was about impacting cost of goods sold and increasing gross profit. I thought it was about generating top line revenue or reducing, you know, uh, cost per call. It's about it's about impacting the lives of what? What the heck does that mean? And when when we see, so I, I guess the first kind of obstacle that we see in practice that drives that apparent disconnect between I'm giving you a position of responsibility and what I really want you to do is impact other people's lives is we see cultures that reward status. And this can happen in a lot of ways. Uh, probably, you know, I was driving by a business the other day, pretty large business, and it was over, uh, it was outside of Tampa, wasn't it? maybe in the Lakeland area. I was on the way to see a client and we're going through this industrial area. And, um, and there's there are all these large distribution facilities. There's one, which is a really large facility. And it was obviously some kind of like food distribution or, or food processing plant, uh, because you could see the workers, they had this really nice, uh, kind of like picnic area set up, uh, with a bunch of picnic tables and nice grassy areas in the shade. And you, you saw the people walking to and from that. And, you know, they had like the hair nets on and the, 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 it just looked like a like a food production plant. I don't know how else to say it. But the one thing I noticed, like the parking lot, what what made me think of like, the, oh, that's a nice shaded space because the employee parking lot was right next to that. And it was just this black top 
uh, like Death Valley. Like <laughs> and we're in Florida and it's April, right? So it's already, there are days when it's already into the nineties and in the, and those cars are like 120 degrees, you know, at five Oh five when people are getting off work. And I was like, Oh man, this car has got to be boiling. It's nice that they have this nice shaded area where they can eat lunch. And then as I pass, you know, I'm driving by the business. I see what's on the other side of that nice shaded picnic area and it's these two rows uh, of parking spots that probably have 20 to 30 spaces in each one and they have these really nice like awnings over them so that these are the covered parking spots that are not in the sun and and you could tell like these are probably like for the the president, the vice president, the CEO, the CFO, the the people who work in the office, the people who work in the plant or the people who are supervisors in the in the manufacturing facility like they get the they get the open parking lot spots i'm not saying that that's good or bad but i'm saying if that's if that's a culture if the culture is more about where your parking spot is than anything else and if getting if moving up through the organization and earning more responsibility is about earning status symbols and that's what signals to the rest of the world that you have been given a promotion. That stuff works against an idea, an affirmation like leadership is impacting, impacting the lives of individuals. So some of this stuff is you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, that's that's the culture I work in or that's the culture I live in. You you may not have any control over that. Like so, The frustrating part is like some of these roadblocks – you don't have any control over. I at the end of each one, I definitely want to give you kind of like here's some encouragement. Here's something that you here's something you can do that's going to make overcoming this roadblock series of roadblocks better. But sometimes, you know, some of these things are just kind of out of your control, right? And so, what do you do? I mean, do you give up the parking spot? Do you not take it? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that if that's the culture, it's going to work against this idea. The other thing that happens in a cultural perspective is that we have some cultures where information is really treated as power, like access to information, knowledge, and, and you, you'll experience this in cultures because there's like a fear of missing out on a meeting. Everybody wants to know what everybody else is doing. Everybody wants to know what's going on. If I miss a meeting or if I wasn't invited to a meeting, what was that intentional? Was that not like, should I have been there? What did I miss? Can I get notes? Can I get somebody who was there to tell me what was going on? And when you have information hoarders in the organization who like, they just take all and take in the, in the information and they, they kind of parcel it out, you know, as little tokens to people that they want favors from, or they hold it to, because they think it, you know, giving it out is going to diminish their power. That too works against this idea that leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals. I think one of the big things that um, that can work against you in a lot of this is failing to really build in time, getting to know your direct reports. So if you if I say leadership's about impacting the lives of individuals, well, the people that you have the most access to are the people who report directly to you. But you're not willing or you're not able, maybe management won't allow you to build time into your schedule to do one-on-one meetings with them where you can really get to know what they're about and what they're struggling with and what they want to accomplish and how things are going for them. If you're in an environment that won't just will not allow you to spend that time, it's going to definitely work against this. Uh, the other thing that definitely works against it is if you have an organization where values, there are no values, 
like no explicit values. And this is another thing like clients will understand exactly what we're talking about. When we say values, we're talking about the three or four words that are explicitly defined in your organization to articulate the kind of culture that you are building or that, that you have and you want to sustain. And so if you don't have those three or four words, like they're not explicitly stated and defined, or if you have them, but they really don't mean anything, like nobody does anything with them, then that's going to work against you, against you in this affirmation of leaderships about impacting the lives of individuals. And here's why. Values are, we talk about them so much, and people get sick and tired probably of hearing us talk about values, but values are how we treat people in our work, right? Values are the thing that have the biggest impact on your quality of life at work. If they are the thing, they're the non-negotiable guardrails for what determines how we behave, how we treat people, how we go about doing the thing that we're doing when we're at work every day, and they're not paid attention to or they don't mean anything, then that's definitely going to fail to impact people in a positive way. It's going to fail to impact their lives. So not having a, a culture that's value-based or, or that is value-based on you know, lip service only. And then finally, well, I expect two more, I guess. Um, some of us just never had a good role model. Like we never had a leader who who saw it as their role to impact our life specifically. We don't know what that feels like. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it sounds like. We don't know what the meetings look like. We don't know what the we don't know what the uh, what the conversations talk about because we've just never had that role model. A lot of us, unfortunately, have spent time. Some of us, a lot of time working under folks who treated individuals as just parts, you know, like interchangeable parts in the machine of the business that was supposed to generate a profit for the shareholders. And if that's been your experience, again, that's not something you have any control over. Um, But if that's been your experience, it can be hard to wrap your head around this affirmation that leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals. I'll say, though, that of these of the ones we've talked about so far, the five or so kind of roadblocks we've talked about so far with this particular affirmation, this one happily is probably one we see less often than you would think. Uh, I was talking to somebody today, um, another another consultant uh, in the Atlanta area, and we were talking about uh, you know business owners to the fault sometimes are like too generous. They're too nice. They're too non-confrontational. And it's not. And my statement then was like, it's not three hundred strikes, or I'm sorry, it's not three strikes and you're out. It's three hundred strikes, and maybe we'll give you one more chance. And what we find is that a lot of the people, uh, a lot of us uh, who've who've had any kind of, there's been some boss in our past that we look at and we go, man, they just genuinely cared for me. They just genuinely wanted the best for me. And and you would say, yes, they did impact my life in a positive way. We've definitely had those who didn't. But here we have a choice in terms of what are the experiences in our past that we really want to highlight and dig into and memorialize and, and meditate on and the ones that we want to go, yep, I'm going to learn my lesson from that and I'm not going to do it that way. So regardless of what your experience has been, you have that choice. If you've had some of those people who really poured into your life and 
and gave you a good example, maybe it was maybe it was only for a few months of your working professional career. But if that's what if that's the limit of your experience, focus on that. Try to relive those moments. Try to dig deep and and ask yourself how is it that they were able to do what they were able to do, and how can I replicate it? And for those who maybe have never had that, or or for a much longer experience, you have folks who were just treating you as a a, a cog in the machine. Uh, you can use that instructively too. You say, that's not what I, I know how that made me feel. I know the things that they said and how those things made me feel. I know that the the way that they treated me, I know the the way that I wasn't valued and the specific things that they did to that, that resulted in, in those emotions in me and how they affected my outlook and what I was doing in my work. And I'm not going to repeat that. I'm going to make an intentional decision to go the opposite way. And then... So, so that's, you know, I, I'm kind of jumping the gun into things that you might do, but in terms of lack of a good role model, whether you've had one or haven't had one, you can't use that as an, ex- as an excuse for not being able to wrap your head around this affirmation. It does make it more difficult for you, but it doesn't make it impossible. And then the, the last roadblock that I want to talk about uh, in terms of leadership being about impacting the lives of individuals is something that is probably unpopular but i think i don't think it's that unpopular when you actually get people to talk about it and it's this it is the customer first attitude i think if there's one thing that can that can have this huge kind of law of unintended consequences effect and that is the customer comes first and when i hear businesses talk about that i always like get this this like gnawing feeling in my gut. I'm like, that's not, I know they don't believe that. I know that they, if they, if they do really believe that we've got some work to do, but it's pretty easy to change their mind. It's pretty easy to, to get them to see the error of their ways when they're saying the customers first. And this has become, I would say pretty common knowledge over the last 20 years to the point that it's almost a cliche that your customers shouldn't come first. Your, your employees should come first. Your team members should come first. If you think about any business of any size, let's say you've got a, a business that's got um, a million-dollar business, and it's got, say, 10 employees, 10, 11, 12 employees. There's a business owner, say a single business owner. Is it possible for that single business owner to care for every single customer? And the answer is no. It is just not feasible. So what's the alternative? If the, cust- if the business owner wants the customer to be cared for, he has to rely on the employees to care for those customers. What's the best way to get the employees to care for the customers? It is to care for the employees. It's not to tell the employees to care for the customers or to threaten the employees with things if they don't care for the customers or to just pay them well to treat the customers. And none of that works as well as caring for the employees so that they have the emotional bank account and the goodwill to then go out and give away and care for their customers. So, but, but if you do live in an environment or if you yourself have a customer first attitude, it means that you're not focused on the people that you have the biggest impact on. It means that you're not focused on impacting the lives of the employees. You're looking straight past those employees to the customers and saying, that's where, that's whose life I should be affecting. 
and I get why that's where the money comes from. And sometimes we we fail to follow the logical chain of events all the way back and say, well, you know, if if that money's going to come, it's going to come through an employee. So the employee really has to make that customer feel like they're truly valued and they have to offer services and goods that the customer is happy to pay for and do it in a way that is appreciative of the customer so they come back. Uh, a lot of times we completely skip over that. Like, just treat the customer, take care of the, I got to take care of the customer. And in the process, we're trampling our employees. So here's, here's, here would be my uh, suggestion, if you will, on what is it that you can do? If this is something you struggle with, this idea that leadership is impacting the lives of, and maybe intellectually you can acknowledge it and wrap your head around it, but practically you have a hard time like working it out. Maybe you have a hard time, um, maybe you have a hard time like really focusing on the employee when the customer calls and they're like, you know, I want this, that, and the other. And you have a hard time not trampling the employer, throwing the employer under the bus. Um, my suggestion would simply be this change your mind about what you're there to do. This is one of those affirmations that literally just requires you to change your mind about what you're there to do. If you're there to impact the lives of individuals, you're not there to drive bottom line profits. If you're there to impact the lives of individuals, you're not there to make sure that every single customer has a phenomenal customer experience. If you're there to impact the lives of individuals, you're not worried about the status symbols you get or don't get as a result. Now, it requires a long-term view. It requires faith in individuals. It requ- Here's the thing. This is a hell of a lot harder than just going out and solving the customer's problems and throwing employees under the bus in the meantime. But over the long term, there's a limit to how long you can do that. There's a limit to how much goodwill you can kind of stuff through the the channel in a short amount of time before customers are like, well, it's great when Joey uh, jumps in and solves my problem, but I would just like to have an experience where Joey doesn't have to jump in anymore, right? Uh, So it, it can be hard to say, like, it's not about driving the bottom line. Like from a, a lot of business owners, when I listen to this, and they're like cringing. Like, well, trust me, if you can change the lives of individuals, the bottom line will follow. There is a cause and effect to all this. But if all you're focused on is the bottom line, you're going to work really, 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 really hard. You're going to find out that in the long run, it's not sustainable. As soon as you take your eye off the ball, things are going to fall apart. And it's a lot more work over a longer amount of time than if you'll do the hard work in the beginning to focus on what's most important, which is the lives of the people in front of you. Hi, this is Joey Brannon. I wanted to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team 
to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you, to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. So let's move to affirmation number two. As a leader, it's my role to encourage, exhort, and empower. What gets in the way of this one? Well, I think number one, like a real pragmatic thing, is there's a lack of involvement in the hiring and onboarding process. If you're just handed people in your department, uh, or you show up one day, or you know, you go to HR and you're like, I need a new, I need a new estimator, or I need, I need a new route technician, or I need a new salesperson. And you get notice, hey, you're a new person starting on Monday. You haven't had any, maybe you saw a resume, maybe you sat in on one interview, but you feel like your involvement was less than it should have been. It's going to affect your ability to encourage, exhort, empower that person. And that's, so there's, that's a pretty easy solution. Make it known that you want to get involved in the hiring and onboarding process, that you want your scope of responsibility to expand there so that you can be responsible for identifying the people that you want to encourage, exhort, and empower. And it can really shortcut the process. And this is one of those things where, it, you know, how, how, what, the, what the expectations are from the beginning and how you start, what that first step looks like, can really set the tone and shortcut a lot of the process. So if you are the person who... Uh, is talking to an individual about you know the role of values in your organization and you know if we hire you are these values that you feel like you can stand behind and here is the vision for the company and this is a vision that you can get excited about and here here is our mission statement and is this something that you feel like you could own and get behind and make a part of your work and here here's the strategy we're pursuing for the next few years and here's how our department fits into that and here's the opportunities that can result as we grow. And here's what we're going to be looking for two, three, four, five years down the road. If you're involved in all of that and then the, and, and you make the decision to hire the person, you get HR's blessing and they pass their drug test and you can get the, the compensation package approved and all that good stuff. And they start, you're in a much better position to encourage them on day one when they start doing well. I'm like, man, this is, this is exactly what you, we hired you. You're much better positioned to exhort them when they don't do as well on day two or, or, or year two. You're like, hey, I really need you to step it up. This isn't in line with our values or this, you know, what you're doing here isn't really the way that we decided it should be done according to our standard operating procedure. It's also very easy, much easier because you've had that long-standing relationship with a person to trust them and empower them when you delegate responsibility to go on and kind of increase the scope of, of what they are going to be held accountable to. All that's much easier if you can have the relationship in the beginning. So lack of involvement in the hiring and onboarding process is going to work against that. The second thing that's going to work against the encourage, exhort, empower thing, and I'll say specifically on the encouragement front, is just a lack of emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman wrote this book, uh, Emotional Intelligence, gosh, 20 years ago now. And it's basically this idea of, you know, are you in tune to what's going on inside people's heads, their emotions? Are you aware of the whole person? Or are you just kind of like trying to solve a problem? And one of the things that we notice with leaders, managers, 
who have a kind of a low emotional intelligence quotient, like they're not really with it when it comes to understanding what's going on with their people, is that they, they have a hard time recognizing that even your top performers need encouragement. You know, like these, just because they're great performers doesn't mean that they don't really value knowing that they're doing well. They don't really value, I mean, they have this tremendous need to know what's going on inside your head. And if you have a low EIQ as a, as a leader, if you're one of those folks who's, you know, your, your spouse tells you you're kind of clueless when it comes to people, uh, but you're great at solving problems, then this is one of those things you just need to, you need to get better at. You need to step out of your comfort zone and encourage people. And if you're one of these people and, and I, I kind of self-confessed, I am one of them, uh, it, it's going to sound hokey coming out of your mouth at some time, especially when you're learning the skill. But as you get better at it, one of the things that you'll notice is that what, what initially sounded hokey eventually comes from a very deep place of sincerity. And you'll find yourself expressing encouragement and appreciation for people, not because uh, you know, it's a token acknowledgement that you know you need to do, like you're checking a box, but because you realize inside yourself that you really do have a deep appreciation for what they're doing. And you really do want to encourage them. And you, do really, you really do have a tremendous amount of concern and care for them. And so even those who have a low EIQ will develop this kind of emotional intelligence just by exercising the muscle. With respect to, you know, as a leader, it's my role to encourage, exhort, and empower. What is exhortation? Exhortation comes into play when you kind of have to correct somebody. When we exhort someone to do better, what we're saying is like, you're not doing as well as we expect or as we feel like you're capable of. So we're going to exhort you to do better. We're going to exhort you to do more. And one of the things that can become a stumbling block in the, in the, the uh, role of exhortation is when we focus on why questions instead of what questions whenever something goes wrong. And we do this with kids all the time. So like your kid does something like uh, they like they 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 color on the wall with markers, right? And they're like they're like, why did you do that? You know, and if we ask a what question, the what question is like, what were you thinking? Right. And the the thing is like they weren't thinking anything. Like that's the whole point. They weren't thinking. They weren't using their brain. That's that's why the crayons are all over the wall. And we we do the same thing with our employees, like what in the world? Like, why did you do that? Like, they don't know why. They don't, they don't have, in hindsight, they wouldn't do it over again. But if we stop and we focus on what questions instead of why questions, say like, hey, just, what happened? What was the sequence of, again, of events? What was the process? What, where did things go off track? And if we genuinely interact with them in an effort to understand what happened with toward an effort of, you know, helping them get to a place where it doesn't happen again. And I should back up and say, first, just to help them resolve the problem. Like most business owners, managers, bosses, like when something blows up, they start looking to play the blame game and they start asking the why questions and what were you thinking questions. And the... the, the perverse part of it, the, the messed up part of it is that like we really know that what the boss wants is to fix the problem. But the things that they're doing, the questions they're asking, and the way they're going about it is pretty much guaranteeing that the problem is not going to be solved. 
If we're blaming and we're like, what the hell happened? Why were you, what were you thinking? What's going on here? Why can't we get this right? The customer's still sitting over there in pain and suffering and experiencing the problem while we're over here just having an apoplectic fit. So encourage, I would encourage you to ask the what questions with an effort to make sure your employee knows, like, I'm here to help. I'm standing beside you to help. We're going to solve this problem together. What's going on? What, what part of the order got messed up? What's the customer expecting? How can we get it to them? What do you need from me? Solve the problem. Help the employee solve the I guarantee you the employee wants to solve the problem too. They don't want that customer going through what they're going through. So solve the problem and then come back and say, let's talk about what happened. What can we do next time? What do you need from us? What do you need from me? What wasn't clear? At some point, you're going to get to a level where you can own some of the responsibility, if not all of, hopefully all the responsibility as the leader for what went wrong. And you can get out of this thing of asking why questions. And when you exhort people, they're going to hear you because they know that you're for them. And finally, what, what, is a, what is one of the roadblocks on the empowerment front? So we talk about encourage. So when people are doing well, encourage them. Encourage them. Acknowledge their good effort and encourage them. When people are, aren't quite measuring up, you got to exhort them to do better. And finally, empower them. When people have earned the ability to take on more responsibility, you have to empower them with that responsibility and authority. And what gets in the way of that? Well, kind of goes back to that idea that I need everything, including the customer experience, to be perfect. So we micromanage to a T. And that really gets in the way of empowerment because if we're always micromanaging, we never really give anybody the full authority or the full responsibility that leads to empowerment. And if that's you, you have to realize that the biggest detriment, the biggest obstacle to your people really growing is your need for excellence. That is not helping them grow. And we fool ourselves into thinking like, I have a culture of excellence. And what we really have is one or two people who are really, really good at putting out fires and a bunch of people who are kind of standing around smoldering wreckage going, oh my gosh, I screwed up again. I'm never going to get this right. Right? When you have a, when you have a culture that is about empowering people, what you wind up with is a lot of really good people doing really good work and some failure and some learning that goes on in the way and an ability to scale up the business because more people are able to do more things because they've been entrusted with more responsibility. So if you want to micromanage, that's fine, but I'll tell you, you're putting a ceiling on how much your business is able to, going to be able to grow because you're putting a ceiling on how much your people are going to be able to develop. That's what it comes down to. So if you struggle with this area of, you know, as a leader, it's my role to encourage, exhort, empower, my suggestion, my, my encouragement to you would be just commit to learn a new skill set. And this skill set is comprised of praising people, asking sincere but tough what questions, and delegating. These are all skills. So like if, num- if number one, like what is, what's the thing I have to do to, to get to this point where I can recognize leadership is about impacting the lives of others and all I get, what I have to do is I have to change my mindset. I have to change my mindset about what I'm here to do. I'm not here to drive bottom line. I'm here to impact in people's lives. If I have an issue with encouraging, exhorting, empowering people, what do I have to do? 
I got to learn new skills. I got to learn how to praise people. I got to learn how to encourage people, right? And the easiest way to learn is to do it. You're going to sound hokey. You're going to get over it. You're going to find that you really, really enjoy, I'll say this, you may not enjoy the act of praising people. You'll find that it comes from a different place over time. What What began as something that you knew you had to do, so you're just going to do it, becomes something that you genuinely internalize and come to appreciate. And in asking sincere but tough what questions is about, hey, like, I'm, I want to understand what happened here. I like, yes, there's a problem. Yes, something got screwed up. We're going to fix it. I'm not, and I don't care if it's your fault. I don't care if it's the guy down the street's fault. It's just a problem. And I want to know from you what you think we can do to make it better next time or what you need from me so that it doesn't happen again. And then finally, delegating, which is one of the hardest skill sets to learn, honestly. It requires, um, it requires margin in your time, in your, in your schedule. Like if you have no margin, it's going to be very hard for you to delegate, which seems counterintuitive because you're like, well, delegating is supposed to produce more time for me. But initially, when you're trying to empower people, delegation actually takes more time because the task that I could do in an hour, if I delegate it to you, I might have to spend 20 or 30 minutes you know, bringing you up to speed on what it is I want you to do. You're going to ask me questions. They're going to take up more time. And then I'll have to follow up afterwards and check to see if you did it right and possibly, you know, do some retraining. And man, that's just, I need this thing tomorrow. And if I delegate it to you, I can't expect it to be, we may not even be able to sit down until tomorrow. So it might be the end of the day or the beginning of the next day, right? So you have to have some margin to do delegation, but it can be done. That's probably another another whole podcast topic because we do some specific training with teams on delegation. Um, So that's one we'll we'll put in the hopper for, for a future episode. Affirmation number three, leadership is a calling that I pursue at all times. What's a stumble? What could possibly be a stumbling block to this? And I think one of the things that we see is, you know, people are asked to manage. They're not asked to lead. So, you know, this idea, let me go back for a second and say leadership's a calling I pursue at all times. What does that mean? It means that like, it, yes, you're, you're a leader at work. You also got to realize you're a leader at happy hour when everybody's out drinking and having a good time. You're a leader at your kid's baseball game or, or their high school football game. You're a leader when uh, you walk into a store and you are, are trying to uh, return an item with a customer service person and you're getting frustrated because they want the receipt and you don't have the receipt and they can't get it through their head that, you know, you just don't have the receipt. And somebody that you do business with is three people behind you watching how this whole thing goes down. Maybe they're a vendor, maybe they're a customer, maybe it's an employee. And they're watching and their expectation of you because of your position of leadership, responsibility, is much higher than their expectation of the person who who just yelled at the customer in front of you because that person, maybe they know that person too, but like, they're like, that person doesn't have any responsibility. But Joey, Joey's like, he's a manager in this business. He's a leader in this business. I expect more from him. So that's what we mean by leadership's a calling I pursue at all times. And so the, the roadblock is that a lot of us are asked to manage. We're not asked to lead. Like nobody draws a clear distinction at your employer about like what it means for you ex- to ex- accept this promotion. And part of that is like, we've been told, well, you can't do that. Like that's, you know, HR, the HR has no right into your personal life. I get that. And I respect that. 
But if you want to, uh, uh, presuming that you're listening to this podcast and you want to lead better, you probably do understand, or you should understand, or you're open to the idea, and maybe you're even welcoming of the idea that, hey, when I get promoted, when I'm handed more responsibility, the bar is raised higher for me everywhere. I cannot just sequester this uh, this leadership responsibility in my nine to five job and then pretend like everywhere else that the things that I do don't impact other people, that I don't have any responsibility to exhort, encourage, empower, that uh, I can be a jerk in some places and not others, right? So I think you know the, the, the roadblock is that we don't talk about this stuff enough when we bring people into position of responsibility. At very high levels of responsibility, we do. We've all read stories of the CEO who got drunk, you know, and and made an ass of themselves at a bar or restaurant, and the you know the next Monday the board of directors they let him go. Now the share price was phenomenal, right? the The company was hitting every benchmark and every metric, but. At some point, we do start to acknowledge this. We start to, and we saw this, we've seen this multiple times with people just going completely bonkers and, and somebody catches it on YouTube, whether it's making a racist comment or some of this like hyper politicization of, you know, whichever side, whether it's Antifa or whether it's like, you know, the, the Proud Boys, whatever. And like people get let go. Because like, hey, this this is not consistent. Like you can't you can't be one way outside of your day to day responsibilities. Which like, by the way, the place where we work is where we spend the majority of our time. It's a huge part of our role as human beings and and how we represent ourselves. And we can't have this huge disconnect between the two. So I think at higher levels we've started to understand that, but we should also be talking about it insider, even at the low. When you pr- promote somebody from a line worker to a supervisor, you should have this responsibility of, hey, like I'm, I'm promoting you. You have to understand you, you can't say things the same way you used to say them and have them heard the same way. People are going to hear things different. They're going to measure you by a different standard. They're going to hold you to a different standard. I think we should be talking about that kind of stuff. The other thing that gets in the way, and this is on a very personal level, is like just a lack of personal vision and discipline. I think there are times when the employer, especially in younger employees, genuinely sees something in that person that they can't see in themselves. And so some of us have this problem or this, this, you know, it's like leadership's a calling I pursue at all times. And it's because we don't expect the same thing of ourselves that our employers can clearly see we're capable of. And so if you don't have a personal vision or if you don't have a lot of of self-discipline, then this is going to be more difficult for you. I think third third kind of roadblock I would mention is, is just kind of youth in general, right? So like we have a lot of young people who are just star performers. And because they're star performers, People are already starting to look at them as eligible, you know, for advancement. And they're completely oblivious to the fact that their star performance is raising the bar in terms of what people expect in every other area of their life. And if they're not careful, and this is where you saw it's not I think I guess we hear about it more, but like back when Facebook was like all the rage ten years ago. I mean I'm like dating myself now, but like 
my generation was the one that got really involved in Facebook, and now that's passe. But, you know, you would see, like, somebody would be, you know, like, setting all-star sales numbers and then post a stupid picture on Facebook or Instagram, you know, getting drunk on a Friday night or saying something stupid, and it would be like, oh, well, we're not going to put them in a leadership track. Uh, So sometimes youth gets in the way. I think the other thing is, you know, sometimes we just have peer groups that aren't, that peer groups whose standards maybe aren't up to the standards that should be ours. Uh, and so, you know, if you, if you're a business owner, a lot of times uh, we see, experience this in young business owners where the people that they knew in high school and college, uh, they're good friends. Like they, um, they didn't become business owners. Like, you know, some people do, some people don't. It's kind of a minority to actually become business owners. And it can be hard. It can be hard to relate to a peer group that isn't experiencing the same things that you're experiencing. And you can lull your, yourself to sleep thinking, well, you know, I can I can live according to the standards that are acceptable to them in terms of where I can turn on and turn off my responsibility and what my employer has a right and doesn't have a right to to dictate in terms of my personal behavior. Uh, but that's really not true of you. What's true of them isn't true of you because even though you're in the same peer group, the standards are different. So what, what do you do? Like what's the, what's the action step in terms of wrapping your head around the idea that leadership is a calling I pursue at all times and really owning that affirmation. Say one thing you can do is write down your personal vision of success and then spend some time reading and thinking about that, meditating on it every day. What do you want to accomplish with your life? And it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, 16, 17, 19, 22, 25, 51. If you want to raise the bar, raise the standard for what you expect of yourself 24, 7, 365, write it down. What is your personal vision? What are your personal values? What's the standard you're going to hold yourself to? And then don't let it be just a piece of paper that gets shoved in a desk drawer. You know, make 10 copies. Put one of them in your wallet. Put one of them in your bathroom mirror. Put one of them in your desk drawer. Put one of them on your computer screen. Stick one in your car. And and spend some time every day picking it up and going through it and reminding yourself of the standard you want to hold yourself to. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic. And we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you, you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening. And now back to the episode. The fourth affirmation, this is one that we probably got the most feedback on uh, when we sent out the video, which is really cool for me um, because I get it and it makes a ton of sense. But it's this idea that I will measure my success by the success of those that I lead. And I think a lot of people have an, an issue with this or struggle with it because 
we can get lulled into this short-term focus on the customer experience versus growth and development. So this is kind of going back to the previous thing we were talking about, um, you know, having a good role model and the customer service attitude can kind of get in the way of, you know, leadership is about impacting the lives of others. Well, the same thing, if I'm measuring my success by the success of those I lead, then I have to take them. So I, I can look at this person who just screwed up the customer experience. And I'm like, man, that person, they're not very successful, which isn't making me very successful. And I want to be successful. So I'm going to go in. I'm going to make sure they're successful in this customer experience because I'm going to do it for them. I'm going to fix the problem for them. And so then they are going to be successful. And that means I'll be successful. But what we should be thinking of is on a much longer time scale. When we talk about, I will measure my success by the success of those I lead, I'm not talking about their day-to-day success. I'm not talking about their week-to-week or month-to-month. or year. I'm talking about their ultimate success. What, when people look at this person and they're like, that person has done a lot. That They've done well. They've done good. That's a person that other people are better off because of them. And you are responsible for being that person's leader at some point then you did well. You're successful because they were successful. But that can be over years or decades. I'm not saying that we have to put up with mistakes for decades, but I'm saying when they make a mistake, our first inclination shouldn't be, are they going to be successful in this customer interaction today? Our first question should be, if I let them fail here, and they learn this lesson, is that going to benefit the next customer and the customer after that and the customer a year from now and the customer that shows up five years from now? Or if I jump in and fix it, is it going to work against them getting better at this so that future customers don't experience the same problem? So when you talk about success of those you lead, you must you have to have a much longer perspective than just are they being successful in the moment or are they being successful today? The other thing that gets in the way is, frankly, just compensation plans that reward short-term performance. Right? That that definitely gets in the way, and that's that's pretty common. Uh, if I don't have the time to grow and develop my people to be successful because it's going to hurt my compensation, then that's going to get in the way. Uh, punitive cultures that really focus on who caused the problem can also get in the way because it just stigmatizes failure. So we, now we have, if it's a punitive culture, what I mean by that is like a problem goes on and the first thing that gets asked is who screwed up? Whose fault was it? Who was the account manager? Who was the route technician? Who was the salesperson? Who was the crew? Right? And if that's the first question that gets asked rather than what happened, then we pretty much you know, can guarantee we've got one of these punitive cultures Failure is to be avoided at absolutely all costs, which also you know kills us on this fifth affirmation we're going to talk about in a second. But it, it basically strips us of any opportunity we have to allow people to fail within boundaries so that they can get better over time. So punitive cultures, the blame game, that's going to work against us. Um, and the next one is more personal. Some of us just have a straight-up fear of failing ourselves. And so we don't want to accept responsibility to be accountable for somebody else's success because that's, we perceive that as being outside of our span of control. Like, I don't, like my success is going to be dependent on their success. Like, I, 
I can't do that. Like I, you know, I, I was the valedictorian of my class. I had a 4.98 GPA. Like I, I, I wrote every paper and every group project we ever had because everybody else was incompetent. And now you're saying that my success is dependent on the grades that they get. Like I, I just can't, I can't wrap my head around that. And it's not surprising that this is one that a lot of people struggle with because the people that we promote into positions of responsibility are really, really good performers. Like they've got this demonstrated track record of great GPAs, you, you know, if you will. And we go, ah, like, man, you've done such a great job. We want to put you in this position of responsibility over everybody else because we know, like, you know, you won't let us down. And what what should be happening is somebody should be going into that position going like, hey, I want all of you to be able to do better. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to take a longer term view and develop you over weeks and months than years. And part of that's gonna, going to entail you failing. And when you fail, I don't want you to worry about it. We're going to get through it together. We're going to make sure that we take steps to to mitigate the damage and, and make corrections so that long-term this is better. But when you fa- I don't want you to worry about I'm going to go to bat for you. I'm going to wear your failure to whoever you know, needs to, to have an answer, and I'm going to shield you from that, and I'll, I'm willing to take the ding uh, short-term on my credibility so that long-term we can get to where we want to get together. Right? And, and so, that, I mean, that's a big mindset shift. And it's, just, it's not just a mindset shift. It's something that flies in the face of a lot of top performers' entire body of experience, going back to when they were in school even. So this one, I, I think, is probably, probably one of the hardest for top performers to overcome and just say, like, oh, okay, I'm just going to buy into... I'm only successful to the extent they're successful. And that means that I'm going to have to shield them from the consequences of failure while we learn these lessons together so that they can get better over time. Uh, so how do, you, how, do you, how do you get past this? How do you work on this particular one? And this one's super pragmatic. I'm going to give you a chore to do, and it's really as simple as just doing it. And it's one-to-one meetings. Our clients know what these are because they've, you know, we talk about them incessantly. And it's something that every single one of our clients is supposed to be doing. So if you're a client, you're listening to this. I hope that you're up to speed on your one-to-one meetings. But one-to-one meetings are simply where every single month, uh, every 30 days, you need to be sitting down with your direct reports and you need to be asking two very specific questions. Number one, how are you doing? And so this kind of goes back to, this will help you with affirmation number one, which is leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals, right? That's huge. So how are you doing? How are you doing as a person? What's going on to the extent they're comfortable sharing with you? And, you know, you're their boss, so you got to take that, you know, seriously. And sometimes they may not be willing to share a lot of their personal life with you, and you got to be okay with that. Some people are more private, some people are more open. But question number one in a one-to-one meeting, how are you doing? How are things going? How are things going for Joey? How are things going for Gina? How are things going for Carrie? How are things going for Devin? How are things going for Cameron? Those are the, that's where my team members. And every month, I need to be asking them, how are you doing? And I got to sit back and I got to listen. And I got to pay attention. And I got to probe and dig and pry and try to understand, is there anything I can do to help that situation? You know, I just need to butt out. It's none of my business. A lot of that stuff is going to have, they're going to talk a lot about work. And that's absolutely in my sphere of influence. Those are things that I can help with. And then the second question, 
How are you doing is number one. The second question is, what do you need from me over the next 30 days so that you can do your job better, more fulfilled, happier, more efficiently, faster, whatever it is. What do you need from me to be more successful over the next 30 days? And if you will do that with your direct reports, you will find out what they need to be successful. And if you can provide it for them, if you're good at that, then they're going to be successful, which means you won't have any problem buying into the idea that your success should be measured by their success. I think one of the things that we don't do is we, we say like these things like, I'll measure my success by their success, but we don't back it up with concrete ways of making sure that they're successful. And the best way is to ask them, what is it that you need? And this is not just a question for C-suite chief executives. It's not a question for people who make $100,000 a year. You can ask the person making minimum wage, what is it that you need to be to be more successful in your work? And they will tell you every single time. You have to be genuine. They have to believe you. They have to trust you. And that might take some time. You might have to ask that question four or five or six times over the course of four or five or six months before they're like, man, I, I think he really means it. And so I'm going to tell them, I'm going to be honest with them. But when they are, you'll find out that they have a lot of insight into what they need. And then they're owning their own success, which is really where their work starts and your work stops. It's up to you to provide the resources and it's up to them to do the work. So it's a much easier way to go if you just work to empower people to achieve their own success. So now we move on to affirmation number five, which is preserving the status quo is incompatible with progress, growth, and leadership. Leadership requires responsible risk. What gets in the way of this? Well, unfortunately, I'd say an unsafe leadership culture is probably one of the number one culprits to this. And what I mean by that is we convene a leadership team. This leadership team is meeting on a weekly basis to tackle issues in the business. And there are people on that leadership team who are, they either don't buy into the values or just generally like toxic to the culture. It's not a safe place. It's not a safe place to fail. It's not a safe place to, um, to put fresh ideas on the table. It's just generally a spot where uh, failure means that you give up some credibility. And if that's the case, you're not going to try anything new. It's all going to be about preserving the status quo. The other thing uh, that, that will work against this idea of not seeking the status quo, sometimes you've got some people who've already got one foot out the door and they're not buying into the long-term vision. If they're not bought into the long-term vision or if there is no vision, this is the other thing, if there's just a lack of vision company-wide, then status quo is really the safest place to be. If I don't, if we don't, if I don't have a good idea of where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish, then the safest place is like, don't move. Like, don't, don't, you might be going somewhere that the rest of the team isn't going or that they don't want you to go. So just stay where you're at. If they don't want me to, if they want me to move, they'll come tell me. Right. And that's the definition of like that status quo fear mindset. On the other hand, we have a vision. It's clearly articulated. We're making plans to get there. We're holding people accountable. Standing in the same place is not very safe. Like we need to be moving with the rest of the team toward that destination. And when we're not, 
it becomes a very unsafe place for us to be. So lack of vision uh, or having people who really don't buy into the long-term vision because they've already got a foot out the door, that can definitely work against this. Uh, and then you know, one of the other things that sometimes could happen is sometimes people have just had like a series of home runs, right? They've just had this kind of string of wins and they don't want to jeopardize the batting average. So they just play it safe, right? And it's just maybe bunt after bunt after bunt. And, you know, they, they just don't want to do anything that might work against the success they've already had. And again, that, I think that ultimately that goes back to, it's just not a very safe place to fail. Everybody should be sick. Like, if I'm pursuing the best interest of the company, I'm doing it thoughtfully. I'm doing it diligently, uh, and I'm and I am um, I'm sincerely trying to make the place a be- And I fail, and that's not okay. I mean that that has to be okay. It has to be okay to fail when I'm doing everything that I should be doing, but just sometimes it doesn't work out for unforeseen reasons. So my. If you if you feel like you're one of these people that struggles with the status quo, if you're like you know just I don't feel safe, uh, you know stepping out of my comfort zone and my comfort zone is the way things have always been. What can I do about that? Well, my my advice would be this: um, sit down for a second and put yourself in your colleague's shoes. And what I'd like you to do is write down all the things that you're settling for that you think others are frustrated with. And if you'll, if you'll take some time to step out of yourself and step into their perspective and look back at you, knowing you, nobody knows you as well as you do. So look back at you, look, you know your motivations, you know your hedges, you know, your, you know the areas where you're holding back, you know the, the secret motivations that you're not sharing with anybody else. But look at those things from somebody else's point of view as if they could see right through you. And, and ask yourself, write down, like, what are they frustrated by in me? It will open up your eyes. I'll close with this story. It's a very personal story. Um, and it has nothing to do with business, but everything to do with what we're talking about. And so my wife and I very intentionally work on our marriage. We've gone to communications training. We've gone to counseling. We've gone to courses to understand each other better and understand parenting better and it's something that we we decided after a rough time in our marriage we're going to invest in our marriage is going to be our hobby we're going to invest time and money in creating a better marriage and uh, we were at this one particular training and we've been going through a rough time and and it was we'd spent the whole morning kind of going through this some some stuff together and i was sitting there and the the facilitators they were they would kind of cover this point and be like, man, that was really good. I hope, I hope she heard that. I hope, I hope she wrote that down. That was really good. She needs to hear that. And I did this all morning. And then they said, uh, here's what we're going to, we're going to take a break for lunch. You guys are on your own for lunch, but we do have this exercise that we want you to do. And the exercise is this. I want you to grab lunch somewhere and then find a park or find a, a, a picnic table somewhere. And I want you to do this exercise. And the exercise is what it's like to be married to me. And it's like a blank page. And we just want you to fill this page out, and then we want you to read it to your spouse. And so this whole morning I've been thinking all about, you know, I hope she's getting this, I hope she's getting that. And we sat down to do this exercise, and I put myself in my wife's shoes, and I said, what's it like to be married to Joey? And as I started to write, it completely broke me. And seeing things from her perspective 
made me realize some things about me that I had been unwilling to see before. And suddenly the status quo of how I was as a husband was no longer acceptable, and I was bound and determined to change it. So I think this could be a powerful exercise for you if it's something that you struggle with. And if there's any way that we can help with any of these affirmations or with overcoming them, please reach out to us. We'd always like to talk to new people, new prospects, uh, current clients, old friends. <laughs> reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. we love to talk about this stuff because it makes a difference. It makes a difference in businesses, which make a difference in the world, and that's what we're about. Until next week, stay safe. Enjoy your work, enjoy the people you do it with, and commit to become a better leader. Thanks.